Hey nurses, welcome to the Nurse Dot Podcast, giving nurses validation, resources, and hope one episode at a time. Today on Nurse Dot Podcast. You know, when I'm not called to nursing, I'm called to nurses. I am called to make change. If a nurse is under investigation by the Board of Nursing, I help them and their legal team. Because nurses, they just don't understand the process. You don't think that that's going to ever be you. And then it is. Joining us today, Maggie Ortiz, a dynamic force in healthcare advocacy. In a world where nurses are constantly feeling the pressure of a strained healthcare system, Maggie, a nurse by profession and advocate by choice, tirelessly champions for nurses' rights and is committed to bettering the world of nursing. I'm your host, Kara Lunsford, registered nurse and VP of Community at Nurse.com. Maggie Ortiz. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to introduce you to the Nurse Dot podcast audience. We had the opportunity to meet a, a little while back. I was really blown away by the work that you're doing, how you're helping nurses, the advocacy that you're doing for them. Nurses are patient advocates, as we know. So it's important that we have advocates for us. So I wanted to just take a second and have you tell us just a little bit about yourself, you know, how long have you been a nurse, and maybe just quickly how you got into this profession of just advocacy for nurses. Sure. So I've been a nurse for 23 years. I spent the majority of my career as an associate degree nurse, and I think that that's important to pause because there's, you know, it's not always the end all to be all to have a master's degree. I did go on to get my master's because I was being tired, being told no. And everyone who's a nurse who's had an associate's degree knows that journey. I did uh, ADN to MSN. I did a leadership degree. I was working primarily in the cath lab, but other procedural areas. And I felt like we were being misutilized as RNs and not anesthesia wasn't involved enough. And I felt like it was putting, once again, a nurse in a place where it wasn't safe. So during that time, I also was at the Board of Nursing. I had been practicing for about 15 years, ICU, ER, pre-op, PACU, endo, IR, cath lab, travel, local, had just kind of done everything but labor and delivery by choice. And so I crossed over to the Board of Nursing. I was an investigator. I applied, got the position, was there for about six months and became obviously very intimate with the rules and regulations. I had a badge and I was just not feeling like nurses were getting a due process. And that kind of changed me. I left and then I went and stood in front of my representatives, started reaching out to the governor, just asking questions like, who oversees the Board of Nursing? No one, no one oversees the border nursing. And I'm like, wait, 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 pause. I was like, no, I mean, but how is that real? And then I started just like diving in to administrative law, what that really meant, because that's what we fall under when you get handed that license. And we're not taught this enough. You're now practicing under administrative law along with civil and criminal. And sometimes the nurses did nothing wrong. And I was more than happy, again, unbiasedly to explain that to the attorney. Then I crossed over into administrative expert, where if a nurse is under investigation by the Board of Nursing, 
I help them and their legal team. And that's the space that I'm in right now because nurses just don't know what they don't know. It wasn't until I was at the border nursing and I saw that, that I said, you know what? I'm not called a nursing. I'm called to nurses. I am called to make change. I love that. I don't know what I'm, that means, but most times they just don't understand the process. The nurse will reach out and they've had allegations they've been holding on to for six months. They're like, yeah, the board didn't reach back out to me. I said, they're not obligated to. And now you've been formally charged. But sometimes it's just the lack of education because when you're in nursing school, we're briefly told about this entity or the rules and regulations. You're drowning in care plans and medical terminology. And that's not going to be you because you're not, quote unquote, a criminal. You're not going to, quote unquote, ever do anything wrong. So you don't really dwell here. You don't think that that's going to ever be you. And then it is. Yep. And I think like that's why it's so important. And you clearly were put on a path to do this because you put yourself into all kinds of nursing situations. So you weren't just in med surge or you weren't just in ICU or you weren't just in the ER. You really took it upon yourself to become very knowledgeable aside from OR and L&D. <laughs> um, with a lot of areas of nursing, which I think first and foremost, kudos to you for just like getting up and leaving and, and discovering and being curious about other departments because I'm sure that you lean in on that information a lot. Yes, yes. I hate to interrupt, but yes, 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 yes. And let's just pause here, you know, like you're, you're stating leave your comfort zone. Nurses, get out. Leave your, don't stay in one place. Or you could stay in the same hospital. Absolutely. Don't leave that facility. Move around. Go to another unit. Float. You know, as long as you get the proper training, I tell nurses, float. But make sure you're going to that unit and you're getting whatever you need. That may be three months, right? Because again, if you're really crossing over, if I'm going to labor and delivery, I'm getting my three months. If I'm going from ICU to step down or, or to, you know, I might not need that long. I'm having to learn to manage more patients. So maybe in the med surge, yes, because now I'm managing five to six patients. I might need that full three months because I'm going to have to throttle back my critical care. I'm doing all these crazy assessments to just a broader, but that's something I have to be taught maybe how to do. Yeah. And so I'm going to kind of piggyback on what you said for a second about how you don't have to leave your institution. You can start branching out, learning new areas, new specialties within your organization. And then at some point that's going to give you, that's going to make you feel empowered and kind of courageous to make those bigger moves, which might be to another area outside of the hospital, maybe where you want to explore home health or hospice, or you want to explore a whole other area of nursing. And that kind of baby step into those smaller discomforts, you know, embracing those different discomforts allows you to make those bigger moves where you can leave your institution altogether and go and explore something else. And I think like the really important thing that I'd like to add to that is what I learned is that other institutions have different rules, different policies, different procedures. And suddenly, and this is what travel nurses benefit from, they start to move around and go, oh, you know what? It's not a one size fits all. I learned pretty quickly 
if a patient was discharged from this hospital over here, they might be discharged with 300 units of heparin in their porticath, you know, and that's what they use to lock. And then another patient gets discharged from a different hospital and suddenly it's 500 units. When you only stay in one establishment for too long, you start to think that your way is the right way. And that's not necessarily the best, in my opinion, personally. I, th I think that like it's much better to understand that, hey, you know, 300 units of heparin is fine for a porticath. 500 units of heparin is also fine for a porticath. <laughs> like, they both work and they're both okay and they're both safe. And because then it allows someone like you who has all of that experience to be able to go and look at scenarios and go, yeah, you know what? That nurse didn't do anything wrong because you're more informed. Because I saw the, the CAT scan 500 different ways and evidence-based science. Because again, the rural hospital does not have the same resources as the big university. They don't. But that doesn't mean the level of care cannot be the same. It's just you may not have the $500,000 piece of equipment as opposed to something that's, you know, maybe refurbished. But then you're relying on your skills, what you know, what, and again, it's your eyes, ears, and whatever it is, because as a good nurse, you're not relying on what the monitor is saying. Stop it. You're looking at the patient, you know, and that's why I teach nurses all the time. I mean, you know, you have a non-invasive, you know, pressure on a patient that's decompensating. That's a tool because what you need is an A-line. Until you get the arterial line, you're basically just trending that. Is that going up or down? Because <laughs> that's what your biggest worry is. But you need to be able to rely on that. And then that just makes you more confident as a nurse. That just makes your, fills your nurse soul. And then you can, you go somewhere else, you get exposed to something else. And you say, you know, I want to do that. And then that's where work-life balance comes in. Your, I was in the cath lab and one of the nurses had kids and she didn't want to leave the lab. And I was like, stop it. You know, the clinic had a job open. You know what I mean? She she was missing out on the things that she wanted, right? Taking her daughter, to, you know, her kids to school, picking it up, the soccer game. Because when you're looking, working in the cath lab, you have to be 30 minutes away from the hospital and you're not, you can't, you're not doing anything else. So it's, I was like, go somewhere else, go take care of your work-life balance. Cause that's at the end of the day, you're, you're, that's your job. That's not your life. So figure it out for yourself, feed your nurse soul, and then figure out your life. Cause nursing is so vast. You want to work remotely. There's something out there. You want to work just like you said, home health, there's something out there. You want to be in the hospital? 100%. Find what fits you. That's, that's again, we are amazing people. Yeah. I think that we're very capable people, so we tend to take on more than sometimes we should. <laughs> yes. And stretch ourselves a little too thin. I like to say sometimes, like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Because there's a lot of things I can do. I'm a pretty capable human being. I've put myself in a variety of situations, everything from bedside to management to building a company, selling a company. So there's a lot that I know and, and, and can do. Does it mean that I want to do it every day, all day, all three of those things or four of those things all the time? No, I don't, right? So I think it's really important to take a second to evaluate like what you were saying. What matters most to you? Where do you get your joy? What fills you up? Because you're going to make better, safer decisions for yourself. And hopefully you're not going to get into a bad situation. But that being said, there's only so much we can do 
to try and practice professional boundaries and all of that so that we can try to keep ourselves out of bad situations. But then there's stuff that's like outside of our control. That's policies that are at the hospital level. And then there's staffing ratios and acuity-based staffing and all of that. We can practice our professional boundaries. Like we can say, no, I can't take that patient. We also have to remember that like these nurses, this is their livelihood and it's hard to say no. Maybe there's no other hospital near you. Maybe you live in some rural area where there's one hospital that's within driving distance of your home and there's not a whole lot of opportunity for you as a nurse. So that's tough. Like that's a tough situation. What would you say to nurses that are in those situations where it's really hard to practice those professional boundaries and not risk losing their whole career? Right. And there it is. Is that is that unfortunately we are in a place where people like everyone knows Redonda. These other nurses, Michelle, Christian, I mean, that have stood in front of three different courts or maybe the civil one, they just wrote a check, but they got their ankle bracelet off on the 1st of December. So that unfortunately is the worst case scenario for us right now, because you cannot stand in front of the board of nursing and say, they told me. Absolutely not. In my state, 1514 is a position statement that was passed in 1983 that literally I'm going to quote says that I have a duty to the patient that supersedes the hospital policy or physician order. So we have to unite. We have to collaborate. So you're walking into a unit and I always say, you're going to be respectful. You have to know the rules and the regulations and you're going to have to put things on your purview. Like if you see the schedule is out and you know that there's not enough nurses, don't wait till that day, right? Take some responsibility. Right now we're just in a sensitive place. I'm going to my leadership and I've done before. I was on call with someone. I didn't know who it was. I'm not going to stand next to someone at two o'clock in the morning and not understand what their modality is and what they do and their experience, which turned out to be they had never taken cath lab call and we had to make arrangements. But you see how I didn't wait till that day, but I went in a respectful manner. And again, I went to this person again and just said, this is not about you, right? It's about the person on the other end of this. Because if you don't even know what a STEM is, you can't stand next to us at two o'clock in the morning. So looking at the schedule. Okay, so I see on Thursday, we only have two nurses and we need seven. So open that up with leadership saying, so what are we doing? Because that could take time to get another, like someone in, inside the facility. Maybe someone floats down to your unit. Try to be part of the solution. Maybe you have to reach out to a local agency. Maybe there's been a PRN nurse that you know, hey, what do you think about working these days or whatever? You got to be part of the solution. That being said, they're still trying to force you into an unsafe assignment. If you're in states like Texas and New Mexico, you got to file safe harbor. If you're unioned, filing ADO, which is except despite objection, I don't come from union. So some of these words, I don't know ADO, but it doesn't protect you from the board of nursing. The ADO is something else that's driven by the union, by the hospital association, has nothing to do with the board of nursing. I tell nurses they need to understand that. The definition of medical malpractice is knowingly and willingly taking on an unsafe assignment. That's not defendable. And they're going to call a wolf nurse like myself, right, who's going to be slinging around policy and quoting peer-reviewed articles. I'm not telling you that's right, but there's a plaintiff and a defense side to every single case, criminal, right. administrative. And we have to unite. We have to stand together. 
Maybe that means, you know, union people have their opinions about unions is, do I know, am I big on union? I don't know, but what came first, the child labor or the child labor laws? We're just in a place where I don't know the hospitals. We already know these organizations don't have money. And we just know that means that we are the low man on the total pole and it directly affects us. I stand in front of my representatives. I stand in front of the public health committee. You can't make complaints and then you're doing what? And it doesn't have to be anything that's crazy. You're you're a mom, you're a single mom, you're just trying to manage. This is a 15-minute email to your representative. This is nothing that's crazy. You know, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, this is a phone call. This isn't something that's crazy. Connecting maybe with one of your nurses associations, because again, if they're already trying to push for some legislation and you don't have time, donate to them so that they're pushing for violence bills or staffing ratios. Look at Oregon. Look at Oregon just did. I mean, that was done by nurses. But if we don't unite and stand and not ask for what's ours, we're not going to be given it. It was nurses who took it there, right, and asked for it. It's verbal in my state now. You can say it verbally, and at the end of your shift, you just have to fill out that paperwork. But that was literally done by the Texas Nurses Association. So where do you think this comes? Because uh, I, I always say, like, if I wasn't a nurse, I probably would have studied sociology because I think people are fascinating. And how we tend to behave and how we will be reactive and how we will have a victim perspective of things. This happened to me. And also, for me, just personally, I've started looking at just changing simple verbiage from this happened to me to this happened for me and just changing that one word, like just catching myself in the moment where I say, all right, instead of saying like this happened to me, when you change the perspective of it and you say this happened for me, that means that that's an opportunity, that you had an opportunity to learn from something, to make different decisions in the future and that it's really just more about opportunity. And so I'm always constantly trying to think of ways and new ways to communicate that with nurses about, look, just think about what you're doing. Think about how you could be more empowered instead of going, ugh, you know, I go to work and all of this stuff happens to me and they gave me this terrible assignment and they did this and they did that. And it's like, okay, well, this might be true that all of these things happen, but what role did you play or what role did you not play in this? And when you're talking to nurses, like how do you level set with them in that way where maybe they come to you and they feel super victimized? What is your, what's your message to them? How do you start that conversation? So at first to empower them to like start with the Nurse Practice Act, you know, we walk through whatever's happening and then I'm like, let's, let's look at the, the policy. Have you pulled up a policy? Have you sat down with your leadership? Because sometimes even nonverbals, like take a folder, have that opened, have the nurse, po- have some policies out. Because if you're saying, for example, that this assignment's not fair, well, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Don't be vague. You know what I mean? Pull up like Oregon and California have like staffing that's based on research. So if you're going to use something to talk about maybe like a staffing grid, have a tool. That is a tool that that's been researched, right? It's passed on the law in two states, right? So that's a guide. So I I tell them, you know, introduce yourself because not only that, that empowers you. You know, if they're asking you to take like an unsafe assignment, 217.11, you know, S. And T for me, 
So you're asking me to violate that. So I help them because again, if just like you said, if you carry the victim and that's the purview that you're going to be doing everything through and you have to change that lens, empower yourself. Because if you're sitting in front of them, because oftentimes leaders don't know as well and not being disrespectful, but oftentimes we even see a nurse who's been in practice for like two or three years and then you see them as manager and your director and you're like, how, how you have what you've been here for five minutes. That's not even real. So oftentimes educating them about, you know, what's out there. But I think that empowering yourself and then if you need to leave that job, you need to leave the job. You know, Lori Brown, she's a nurse, uh, an RNGD. I mean, in her book, she talks about that. You know, she's dealing with who? The nurses that have been reported to the Board of Nursing and are under investigation. So she sees, has been real clear, there are some consistencies, right? If you're out of place and they're writing you up and you feel like it's retaliatory, you know, sometimes you're not going to be able to change the environment. And just like we talked about, maybe it's just not that unit. You know, you know, traditionally, and I came from the ICU, so I totally feel at liberty talking about this. That can sometimes be the mean girl unit, right? So go somewhere else. Maybe you just don't fit there. Go somewhere else. So start empowering yourself with some tools. And just like you said, move out of the victim role. Sometimes it is a little work. And if you have been wrongfully terminated, then going through those channels, there's, you know, the National Relations Labor Board. If there was a violation, there was a violation. You know, make sure even that you have the employee handbook and what that means, but just making sure that you're empowering yourself and always be respectful. You're a professional. You know what I mean? I'm big on upholding the integrity of our profession. I have no problems with slinging around some code and stuff, but I'm showing up trying to make resolutions. I don't pull that stuff in until I get pushed. Right. Don't do that. That's not respectful. Hey, nurses. Did you know that nurse.com is the ultimate destination for all nurses? It's where you can find your nurse life in one place. That's right. Everything from networking with your peers and continuing education to industry news and career opportunities. It's all there for you. Nurse.com is your dedicated platform to explore a wide range of job opportunities from all across the nation. Whether you're a fresh graduate testing the waters or a seasoned pro desiring for a change in scenery, we've got you covered. Nurse.com forward slash jobs features posts from entry level to executive leadership in every practice setting, even in specialties you might not have considered. So why wait? Leverage your skills and passion in an opportunity worthy of both. Visit nurse.com forward slash jobs today and initiate your journey towards the next chapter in your nursing career. I love that because I really think we have to lead. And I had this conversation yesterday um, when I was interviewing somebody for the podcast and I was talking about how shame is rarely ever, if ever, a useful tool. Correct. So shaming your administration, shaming your manager, shaming anybody into doing what you want them to do or making the changes you want them to make rarely, if ever, is going to work in your favor. And it really just doesn't serve the greater good. It's like education, empower yourself through education, assume positive intent, assume that the person just doesn't know. Let's start there. I mean, if you've educated them and you've told them and now you know that they know 
and they're still choosing to make certain decisions, then to what you're saying is leave. Yes. If you can take it up the chain of command, depending on what it is, but then you know what kind of environment you could possibly make. And as a nurse, you, for the most part, have other opportunities. And if you truly want to stay within that organization, and I'm not always telling you that it's fair, right? You and I both know I'm 23 years in. I'm not always telling you this stuff is fair. It's just reality. So dig in. You know, I mean, you're, sometimes you just have to make the most of what, what your environment is. Read the rooms, I like to say. Read the room here. If you know that if you take that up the chain of command, you're just going to be retaliated by your manager. You need to just do some self-reflection. Is it worth it? Or, you know, I want to go to the labor and delivery area. I would like to try out the emergency room. And maybe I do this now. I don't burn this bridge because she's not going to let me go or he's not going to let me go. I'm just going to gracefully, you know, transition into to somewhere else, reach out to another manager, start picking up a, maybe a shift or two down there and just say, hey, and then now they see where you are and then you just transition over. But you have, be professional. You you have too, way too many options as a nurse, way too many. Yep. You have to be smart and strategic about how you do things. And so sometimes when you're working to move somewhere in your life and you want to elevate in your career, you know that burning that bridge is not necessarily the right thing to do. You're like, okay, I'm going to strategically, I'm going to play this game. I always tell people, I'm like, you know what? If you want to learn how to read people and be very strategic, go learn how to play poker. Because I'm a poker player and there is plenty of times where I have used strategy, poker face. I've read that person and I've played that person to my advantage so that I can move to another area where I know that I'm going to be more well-suited. You can call that whatever you want to call it, manipulation, you know, whatever it is. This is a long game. This is not a short game. No, but you have to, like, to what you said is read the room, right? Know people, read people, and then know how to leverage those relationships to your benefit so that you can do the work you were put here to do. You know, it's not like you're leveraging or manipulating so that you can go out and steal and pillage and, you know, do something horrible. You're leveraging and, and, and strategically being very strategic so that you can go and be the best contributor to healthcare that you can be. And so I think that that's really important information that you just shared. And now that it's investing in you because you and I know, and, I, and maybe some of the listeners don't, don't know, um, statistics show that the first year, 30% of nurses walk away from nursing, walk away from their degree. Second year, up to 60% walk away from their degree, like never work in nursing again, not go to another unit, not. So don't, if you, we already know this then start setting yourself into positions where that's not going to be you. We know burnout is real, moral fatigue. You know, there are a lot of words, you know, out there being slung around. And post-COVID, we know what's happening to our people. So if you're starting to recognize that, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I need to move to a different area. I need to, to do something else. You know, I'm teaching like a nurses how to transition over to legal nursing because that's like the other question I get asked all the time. I'm like, there's a litany of things that you can do and you don't even have to pay for it. I went to the board of nursing and I was trained as an investigator and they paid me to go. And then that crossed over into where I am. And a decade later, I'm not doing what I was doing initially. So just know, especially if you've been in 
nursing for over five years, 10 years, start looking around. You're magical. You can do things, honestly. Anytime you learn some legal stuff as a nurse, it's uh, you're protecting your license. And I'm huge on that. Once you learn some legal stuff or you read a case, you're like, oh my gosh, wow. And it does, it just changes you. It changes you for sure. What is one of the things that you think nurses, and it, it could be new nurses, it could be seasoned nurses. What's like one thing that you see nurses do all the time that puts their license at risk that they just have no idea that they're doing? Consent patients. Consent patients. It's not within your scope of practice. I read from nurses in the law. You know, Nancy Brent wrote that book and that's one that I, you know, talk about. You're not providing informed consent, are you? You are not. Because that means that you're talking about a diagnosis and a treatment plan and even consenting for blood. I'm like, you're not consenting a patient for blood because that's tying to a diagnosis that you're not talking to the patient about. The physician has gone in and provided them with informed consent for the blood transfusion. Then you're coming in and witnessing it, which the housekeeper can do, other people can do. Like if I'm the procedural sedation nurse, the physician comes in and talks about, right, your case, say the cath lab. I'm in the cath lab. I'm doing the conscious sedation. He comes in, tells you about the procedure. You're going to get twilight, whatever it is. Then I can come back in and have you fill out your you know, the box for conscious sedation. I'm the one administering it. I'm the one who has the additional education under the physician who has those privileges, but physician still gave the informed consent as the provider. I'm just going over that with you. And then you're witnessing your signature and that is it. So this is where nurses are working outside their scope of practice. And I'm not talking about- Frequently. Often, often. And I've seen this as a travel uh, nurse. I went to interventional radiology where none of those nurses had worked any other departments, had worked other departments, I'm sorry, had never worked interventional radiology outside of just there, right? And this, we talked about this, right? We just talked about this. So they didn't realize that they were not supposed to be consenting patients for these procedures who had never seen the interventional radiologist. They had seen their hematologist or whomever had sent them for the consulting services to have the procedure that the interventional radiologist was going to perform. And the nurses were coming over to pre-op and I was like, oh, not me. That's not within our scope of practice in any state. You're not allowed to do that. And they had PAs. And I was like, no, you asked the PA to come over and discuss the procedure that the interventional radiologist is going to do. Then I walk in, hey, you know, tell me who you are, first and last name, some identifiers for the consent. You know, do, do you have any questions about the doctor said? Are you comfortable? You know, I even hand the patient the consent form. And if they want to read every single line, absolutely. You know what I mean? That's their right. You know, do you have any questions about that? We look at the risk, you know, where they're supposed to initial. And then I'm witnessing their signature, their, the date, time. That is all. I'm, if they have questions, that's a hard stop. Let me go get the provider, sir, ma'am. Unless it's something basic. How long is the procedure? Now I can talk about that kind of stuff, but it's very specific to the procedure or the outcome or that that's not my lane. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. And I've seen it in civil cases and now it's up on the big screen and I've seen this. And then the nurse is asked in a deposition who consented the patient. Oh the man. Spelled out wrong. It didn't even have the right procedure on it. Now it's on the big screen. Oh God, it's just so painful. It is. I think about blood transfusions, how often, that's probably 
a major one that's like an easy, because the nurse is the one administering it. Correct. So I think it's very cloudy, right? They're kind of like, well, I'm the one giving it. It's like, it makes total sense when there's a surgeon or there's someone else who's administering and doing the actual procedure. You're like, well, clearly I can't consent that person. I'm not even the one doing it. But when you're actually the one administering blood products, but they haven't been explained why they're getting blood products. And there it is. What's the diagnosis tied to it? It's just like you're not prescribing a medication. You're administering it and you can talk about the side effects, but you're not the one writing for it. The physician is writing the order for the blood transfusion and the indication for that. And even some people don't think about it as well because like if it changes, because like if a consent form is good for 30 days, you know, say the indication changes, really the provider needs to go back in and discuss why you're getting this new, you know, that's like cutting hairs, but it is the responsibility of the provider to go in. Because again, and this is a poor example, the only one's coming to mind. It's a trauma. You need blood for a different reason than say you're, and you also have cancer that's causing you anemia and you're in the hospital for like 30 days, you know, under 30 days. Now you need a blood transfusion related to your cancer. That truly is a different consent form because the indication is different, correct? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to give like a hypothetical right now because this is not, this is not anything that has actually... Yeah, I know, but I'm going to legal advice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm we can't give lawyer. Like, I'm just a nurse. You're not just a nurse. Not just a nurse. But the hypothetical I'm going to put out there, the reason why I'm putting this out there is because I want nurses who are listening to this to see themselves in a very real situation. Because I think a lot of times we're like, oh, I would never do that. Really? Really? You'd never do that? Because don't judge I'm, other people. Right. Because imagine this situation, right? Like imagine, and I'm going to just say like a pediatric oncology, because that's my area of expertise. So let's just say you're a pediatric oncology nurse and you have a patient that needs a blood transfusion. They have like their hemoglobin super low. Let's say it's like under seven, right? Let's just say that it's under seven and they need to get chemo later that day. Or no, let's say that they need to get radiation, Okay. They can't get radiation unless their hemoglobin is above 10. And so you're pressed for time. You're thinking like, I got to get this blood transfusion done. They have radiation at this time. If I don't get the hemoglobin up, they're going to miss the radiation. It's Friday. That means that they're not going to have the, it's not open until Monday. So they're not going to be able to do it until Monday. There's somebody in the room, looks like an adult, and you're like, I just need you to sign this blood transfusion consent. I need to get, you know, the hemoglobin up, patients going to radiation. You get the person in there to sign it. The doctor's not there, not involved in this conversation. And you find out later that the patient is actually a Jehovah's Witness and that the family now is like saying... I never consented to that. I would never have allowed my child to get blood products. I would have said, you know, that they needed to wait or get Procrit or they would need something else, but I would never have agreed to this. And that's something that if the doctor had been the one consenting, that may not have been missed. But I would say that this is a very real life scenario where you can get caught up in the things you need to do and the things that you think that patient needs and that what's best for them. And it can cloud your judgment and you could find yourself in one of those situations. That sounds like a very legitimate situation and it's not defendable. And the hospital will probably have to sign a check 
now imagine the worst case scenario. And, you know, that's why I tell nurses as well, because again, it's nurses that reach out to me, that patient died. And now do you think that that physician's going to stand next to you? Do you think the hospital is going to stand next to you? You took the liberty on your own and that's what they're going to say. Do I know that hundred percent, but let's just say 50, 50, you have a 50% chance that they're going to stand next to you, which probably not. And a 50% chance that they're not. Now you get reported to the board of nursing. That's not defendable. That's, you know, mm-hmm. and then a wrongful death. And the other thing that I tell nurses now, you'll do your restitution. You'll pay your fine. You'll, now I want you to look at the family. You're not going to put that down. You're not. Yeah. And that we can't have that. So sometimes we do have to take a second step back, pause, and then just making sure that you are doing Again, you and I both know I've worked in the emergency room. I've worked in the ER, the cath lab. You can get caught up into things. And that's why like stop the line, time out, all these things were put into place. And that's why we're all oftentimes in a little negligent cutting corners, right? But that that's when you, it, there's a difference between like being mindfully negligent and then grossly negligent. And, and that you just have that willful wanton, which is what makes it grossful negligence. Give an example of what mindful negligence looks like and gross negligence. Just get, get, I mean, give like an example. Because I think people who are listening to this, they're like, I don't know, did I do that? Like cutting a corner. Like you said, we cut corners and we consent patients. And you don't realize, so consenting a patient for blood, that's what I consider, you know, you don't even really think about it. And then it's too late and then the patient has a bad outcome. And it's, it is, it's just like... You feel like you're justifying, like mindful negligence would be... Culture would be, we always take a patient off the monitor to go to radiology, even though it's not a, a, an order. You know, we always start IVs on the right arm. And even though the patient has, you know, a fistula, we always, it's sometimes it's, you know, when you get caught up in culture, there's no scanner down in radiology. So we didn't scan the medication. You know what I mean? Even though that's a policy at the hospital. You know, we mm-hmm. overwrote the medication, even though the, the policy says, but the patient needed the medication. So we all get caught up into that. But you're not in a unit, the ER and the PACU. I have access to everything. When I'm in an inpatient unit, I do not. Cath lab, I have access to everything. When you're in an inpatient unit, the policy says you're not supposed to be overriding drugs. And isn't this where I feel like bullying gets in, right? If you stand up and you say, look, that's outside my scope of practice. I'm not doing that. You know, that doesn't seem right. How come you guys are doing it this way? Like, you know, this woman's had a mastectomy. I can't do their blood pressure on the on the left side. They had a mastectomy on the left side. You know, something like that. And then other colleagues are like, oh God, you know, like Kara, just go with it. We've all been doing this for years. Everybody does it this way. Nothing bad has happened. You're never going to get anything done if you just keep questioning everything. And so people start to get quiet. Oh, I didn't come this way. I too have been subjected to all of that. I mean, I refuse in a respectful manner to sedate a patient for a case that the patient, again, I wrote, I led with, I wrote a tool for to discriminate anesthesia versus nurse sedate. She lit up like five of them. It was not appropriate. And it was for a battery change for a pacemaker. Oftentimes, most doctors would just use local. It wasn't worth the risk of giving her fentanyl versed and one of them she had an allergy to. So I went to the provider in a respectful manner led my case because again, I don't often work with this provider. He comes to the lab, gave him some words. He went and assessed the patient and he came back and he was like, how about Benadryl or Phenergan? And I said, something I couldn't reverse. I said, "Um, probably not a good idea. 
And then he got like closer to my face and said that he was going to ask another nurse to sedate the patient. Absolutely. So then I picked up the phone. I called the manager. That was our chain of command because in certain areas, the board runner who would be considered like the charge was a tech. There's nothing wrong with that. But telling that person about sedation, that's not... Then I went to the next in my chain of command, which was the manager. His wife actually was an anesthesiologist. So he obviously had some insight, but he was interim manager. And he said, call the anesthesia phone. You know, I just called whoever was on call, happened to be the head of anesthesia who loves me. I was like, hey, do we sedate SA3s? And he's like, where are you at? And so he came on down to the lab and him and the physician literally started screaming, yelling, they go to the back. But I removed myself from that and I did not sedate that patient. So it's not always easy. And I get ostracized by my own people. I'm animated, I'm activated. And then when they see or have heard that nurses come to me because now they're under investigation, some of them now have changed their perspective, but even the doctors, and I've told them real clear, I'm, I'm not going to do unsafe stuff. You're involving all of us in litigation, all of us. I'm not, I'm not doing it. You know, even to the extent of we're going to put a patient on the table who didn't, I didn't know if they could lay flat. Our tables are this small and there have been civil cases where patients have fallen off tables. So myself and the tech went upstairs. And so I just took it one more step. I was going to be sedating the patient. So I took it upon myself, went upstairs. I was like, hey, how are you? You know, I'm one of the nurses from downstairs. You're going to have this procedure done. You know, probably not going to be able to sedate you. This is what we're going to be able to do. And just kind of assess before I ever brought that patient down to the unit. So it's not always easy. And then I went to the doc and I was like, nah, we're not bringing this guy down. He can't lay flat all the words. And then that's where you're part of the solution. And then sometimes you're going to be bucked up against, and then you're going to have to make the decision what you do. You know, I'm not going to tell you, you're not going to be retaliated against. For me, I would have filed safe Harbor if they were going to push me to do something. You know, I would have utilized that tool, which would enact a peer review, which involves the CNO. So explain safe Harbor, safe Harbor a little bit. Sure. So it is a peer review process that's in place in Texas and New Mexico. And it basically says that you're going to say, take on the extra patient, or you're going to do this assignment that you don't feel is safe. And you're going to explain why. And then it's supposed to enact like a peer review process within the organization to evaluate it, to look at it, and then hopefully to develop a new process that can be sent to the Board of Nursing and used because imagine that there's a bad outcome and now you're standing in front of the Board of Nursing, but you're saying, hey, I was asking for some help. And is that something that happens like at that moment, like it's seven o'clock in the morning and you've got the... Yep. The CNO is involved and there's a process that's put in place. Every hospital that has more than eight nurses has to have a policy in place. I don't have it like memorized. I don't have, but it is. If you're in Texas or New Mexico, you can look up Safe Harbor and your facility has a policy and will tell you exactly what you need to do. So it was passed verbally in the state of Texas and I believe it was related to um, the doctor death case, the neurosurgeon. There was an OR nurse that was scrubbed in because, again, we're magical and do lots of things. She also scrubbed. She couldn't break scrub, but felt like it's all on the news, right? We've seen this, that they were doing, he was doing unsafe stuff, was trying to voice her opinion. Safe Harbor was this long paperwork that you have to fill out. Well, she couldn't do that at the time, and she was worried about her license. So went to the Nurses Association and then so they went to legislators and got it passed. So where it's verbally, you can say I'm filing Safe Harbor. And then at the end of your shift, 
you fill out the paperwork because it can be very lengthy because it's asking you like, what did you do? What was unsafe? I mean, the questions are very, are, are lengthy to help to figure out what's going on to hopefully resolve it within the organization. That's fascinating. And it's only in two states. Right. But any state can have it. And I tell nurses, you know, because I get asked this as well, if you don't go to your nurses association or you don't go to your representatives and say, you know, maybe it's the public health committee, we, you know, Texas and New Mexico has this. Why reinvent the wheel? Print that right on out, have your folder and just say, we want this passed in our state and what needs to happen. All my representatives know who I am. The public health committee knows who I am. Every time there's an opportunity to testify, I'm at the Capitol. I was the only bedside nurse a couple of months ago. I mean, am I getting paid to do that? Absolutely not. But sometimes it's putting in the hard work. And maybe it's not you because I tell nurses, I'll put your name on an Excel document. You can't show up. You're raising kids. You're doing what you need to do. But it can't just be me. I need to add your name. And maybe you just get one person and then you add your name on. But if they don't know we're out here, nothing's going to change. Right. The thing I'm going to say before we finish this is that if you haven't done so already, I really hope that you have written like the Advocacy for Dummies book. (laughs) Because if you haven't... That's a good idea. You should. I just really think, look at, I mean, nurses have like pocket guides, right? We have medication pocket guides. Yes. And maybe it's not like written for, maybe it's in an app or something like that. I'm just giving you a new business in case you didn't already have one. (laughs) A new product line for your business. Absolutely. Um, You know, when I think about like what we use as nurses and there's all kinds of apps and things like that, but you have just such an incredible amount of information. And I feel like for a lot of nurses, it can feel so overwhelming. And it's just tell me like, how do I thumb to that section? How do I click on- Well, I can't. You know, I'm feeling this. Now I need to go to this section. Well, start with, I tell nurses from the very beginning, start with and go to Cornell Law. You don't even have to go to your state. Go to unprofessional conduct, standards of practice, and grounds for discipline. This is a 10 minute read. I promise. I promise you. And I think I am going to get those on like little badge things because it's really like a 10 minute read. Why do you care how a school got accredited? You don't. Well, that's exactly it. It is like a thing on your badge. It is a QR code. It is something where you have collected this information for people where it's this very simple kind of how-to guide. Like, I'm feeling this. Here's what I'm struggling with. I need to go to my manager about this. You know, here's some of the things that you should be thinking about. Here's some of the things that you should be reading. Because I always say, like, for nurses right now, it sounds like, I, I say this to them all the time. I'm like, just do this. And then they're like, but it's literally like, Asking them to pick up like a grain of salt on their fingertip is too much to ask. They're just like, I can't, I am so, I'm here. I've got nothing. So it's like, you have to like literally spoon feed it and make it as easy as humanly possible for a nurse to go, here's what's happening. Here's what I should know. I just think that you have so much information to share. And I was thinking, oh my God, I could do an entirely another hour with you because I'm like, oh, I have this. I want to ask this question. I want to ask that. You know what? She needs to make a how-to guide. (laughs) Exactly. That's actually, that's a good idea because I do oftentimes. And if I don't have the answer for you, then I want to get you to someone that can because that's just how I am. So it's workman's comp related. 
I don't have this knowledge, but here I know someone who does this. Well, that's a list of referrals. You see, you have a whole section just for referrals. Yes. I'm, I'm helping you with your business plan. You are, exactly. <laughs> I do feel called to just, because again, oftentimes nurses do just feel overwhelmed and it is. And then you add now that they're under investigation. It's yep. like getting cancer diagnoses. And then it's so overwhelming. So that I have dumbed down. That I do have a PDF form that I do send to a nurse. And even if a nurse, you know, has already been working with an attorney and rolls up on me a year and a half later. I mean, they'll read this and start crying. They're like, well, like, where were you like a year ago? I'm like, been here. Well, all those little things that you could put behind your badge. Absolutely. Little little pins with QR codes on them. Yep. The pins are great. I mean, nurses use pins all the time. So create a pin. I think this has been just so incredibly inspiring. And I just love how much you just have such a depth and breadth of knowledge. And what comes with it is just so much respect because what you've done, you have walked the walk, okay? So that is what enables you to be able to really show up and share all of this information and keep these nurses safe and empower them. And the minute I talked to you, I was like, oh my gosh, I have got to get her on the podcast. She's just amazing. This is not going to be the last time I have you on the podcast. I know because I have like three other questions that I want to ask you, but I just want to thank you so much for sharing the last hour with me. Thank you. Mad respect. Mad respect. Stay strong, sisters. <laughs> stay strong. Stay strong. We'll see each other again soon. Yes, we will. Bye. Take care. If you are a nurse or nursing student who enjoyed this episode, don't forget to join us on the nurse.com app, where you can find the nurse.discussion group, a place where we dissect each episode in detail and delve deeper into today's topics. Nurse. is a nurse.com original podcast series. Production, music, and sound editing by Don Lunsford. Production coordination by Rhea Wade. Additional editing by John Wells. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to the Nurse.Podcast. Until next time, keep spreading the love and the care.